Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff's Pirkei Avashir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. The Pirkei Avos Podcast is a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network, where we actively encourage Jews to think and engage in the search of how to be intentionally Jewish. Check us out on intentionaljew.com. This is um, Chapter 2, Mishnah 8. The Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai Mishnayos, the whole set of, of Mishnayos, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai received this tradition from Hill and Shammai. Why would he have received the tradition from Hill and Shammai? Why do we say that it's both Hill and Shammai and not just he received the tradition from them? And, and what did he receive from Shammai? The law is not like Shammai, the law is like Hillel. So what does it mean that he received the tradition both from Hill and from Shammai? Problem number one. Problem number two is why, why can't you take credit for the accomplishment of having learned Torah? It's a big accomplishment having learned Torah. It's a big accomplishment having made it your entire life, having poured yourself into learning Torah. So why not take credit for that? And, and the truth is in anything that you do, why, not take, why can't you take credit for that? What's wrong with taking credit? The third problem is, is that exactly who was Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai? It says that Hillel, his teacher, had 80 students. 30 of them were worthy to have the divine presence rest on them, like Moshe. 30 of them were worthy of miracles, like Yoshua. And 20 of them were average students. The greatest of the students of Hillel was a rabbi by the name of Yonason ben Uziel. Yonason ben Uziel was the bird friar. Now, what do I mean by the bird friar? The Talmud says that when a bird would fly over Yonason ben Uziel when he was studying Torah, the bird would incinerate. It would, it would burn up from, the, from the, the heat of his learning, from the fire of his Torah, it would burn up. Whether it's literal or not literal, it doesn't make a difference to me. But, but the concept is, is that his learning was something almost a, 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 from another world. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, it says, was the least of all the students. He was number 80. He was the bottom of the pile. And about him, the Talmud says, basically, he knew everything. There was no part of Torah that he didn't know. He even understood what was called the Havayus, the Abaya Virava. All the questions that were going to be asked much, much further in the future by Abaya and Rava, that he knew all of those. Well, if that's the least student, why did he become the head of the Sanhedrin? Why was he the one that was, that was seen as Rabbi Shalklaisol, the rabbi of the Jewish people? What quality did he have that the others didn't have? It wasn't Torah learning, because there were as great as his Torah learning was, there were others greater than him. So that means that there had to be some kind of midah, some kind of characteristic that he had that uh, propelled him above all the rest of the rabbis and that put him in the position of being the head of the Sanhedrin. So let's understand like this. We know the famous story that's told in the Talmud about Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, that Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai lived in a time of, um, of, of, great, of great anxiety in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was under siege. And the Romans had basically said that if the Jews were to give in 
and to allow the Romans to allow the Romans to basically rule them, so then they could keep their temple and they could you know the, the, and everything could be fine. They don't rebel against the Romans, so then they can they can keep their life as they know it. Because of the siege in Yerushalayim, there was a famine that was beginning in Jerusalem. There were three great uh, benefactors in Jerusalem that donated storehouses to the city of Jerusalem. They donated storehouses of wood, storehouses of flour, storehouses of oil, that Jerusalem could have withstood a siege against it for over 20 years. They could have beat the Romans in just simply a waiting game. The Romans never would have been patient to wait all that time. Rabbi Yochanan Medzakai felt that the appropriate path for the Jews was to give in to the Romans. It didn't matter if the Romans ran Jerusalem as long as they were able to continue with their Jewish life unhindered and unimpinged. They wanted to continue their life. There were Baryonim, who were called the Zealots, who was, were led by a nephew of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who felt that the Romans needed to be pushed out of the land of Israel and that they needed to fight against them. They were concerned if there were storehouses that the Jewish people had, so then they would, they would never fight against the Romans and therefore the Romans would never leave Israel. They burnt down the storehouses. There was a civil war raging inside of Jerusalem. Most people are not aware of this. There was a civil war raging inside of Jerusalem while the Romans were on the outside laying siege. There was a civil war inside as to what the position was that they should take against the Romans. And now the hand was forced because there was no way to, to withstand the Romans because there was now no food left in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the food supply, was completely destroyed. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai calls his nephew in and he says to him, how long are you going to be murdering Jews like this? He said, look, it's not me, but, but my people are out of control. There's nothing I can do with them. They're zealots. There's nothing I can do. So they came up with a plan, though, that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai would get out to speak to Vespasian. And the way they designed the plan was that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was going to feign his death. His two students were going to place rotten meat underneath his bed. It would smell like a decomposing body. The word would go around Jerusalem that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had died. And then they would take him out of Jerusalem in order to bury him. But it was like, you know, an opposite Trojan horse. And they would take him out and then he would go and speak to Vespasian. A very dramatic story ensues, which the Talmud tells of how he was able to get out of Jerusalem, how the Jewish guards and the Roman guards all wanted to prod him with spears and swords in order to see whether he was in fact dead. They were able to get around that. They got him out. It makes a great spy movie. They got him out of Jerusalem. He goes to Vespasian and he says to Vespasian, peace be unto you, O king of Jerusalem, O king of, o king of the Romans. Vespasian looks at him and he says, slow down, Jack. What's with the king of the Romans thing? All I am right now is a governor. He says, I'm not the king. So first of all, if I'm the king, what took you so long to get to me? And second of all, I'm not the king. I'm just, I'm just a governor. I'm just a general. At that very moment, in the middle of that conversation, the Roman legions come. And a messenger from Rome gets off his horse and tells Vespasian, 
that you have the Emperor Nero has died, you have been appointed as king of Rome. And, Rabbi, and, and Vespasian was freaked out. How would Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai, how would he have known that? He looked at Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai and he said to him that he grants him three wishes. Now, it sounds like some, some out of Arabian Nights, right? Rub the, rub, rub the, genie's, rub the genie's thing and then phew, you get three witches. But, but that's, that's maybe where it all originated from. He offered him three wishes. Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai says the following three things. I need a doctor for Reb Tzadik. Reb Tzadik was an incredible sage and leader of the community who had been fasting for 40 years straight. Now, granted, he ate at night, but daytime he fasted for 40 years straight. He was emaciated to the extent that if he swallowed a date, you could see it go down his body. He was, he was in, in terrible condition. Reb Tzadok's strength and power of prayer was needed for the Jewish people. That was request number one. Request number two was the Shul Shalta. He wanted the family lineage to be preserved of King David. So he wanted Rabbi Gamliel and his family lineage to be preserved because they came from King David. And when the Jewish people were going to be put back together, they were going to need a king from the family of David. And therefore, he wanted to preserve that lineage. And the third thing he asked for was Yavna v'chachameha, the city of Yavna and its wise people. Now, if nine o'clock in the morning is not too early for you, then you're listening to the story and saying to yourself, those were the three things he asked for? <clears throat> uh, Rabbi, what about Jerusalem? Why didn't you ask for the base of Mikdash? Why didn't you ask the Romans, please don't destroy the temple? The Talmud asked that question. The Talmud says, because tafasta meruba lo tafasta. If you ask for too much, you'll get nothing. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai understood that if he asked that from the Romans, then he would have walked away with absolutely nothing. And therefore, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai asked for those three things. His entire life, he was unsure as to whether or not he in fact asked for the right things. His entire life, he questioned himself that maybe he left something out. So listen to this. The Talmud says there are two two other incidents that I want to I want to tell you about. So the one is that as I said, his entire life he wasn't sure whether he did the right thing. Just trying to get to that Gemara. Um, so the Gemara says that when he was sick, so his students came into him to visit him. And when he saw them, he began to cry. So his students said to him, O Ner Yisrael, they said, Light of Israel, says the right, the right pillar, the mighty hammer, the man whose life's work is the foundation of the future of the Jewish people, for what reason are you crying? 
With a life as complete as, as yours, what's upsetting you? So he turned to them, he said, I cry in fear of heavenly judgment. Because just like the judgment of the heavenly court is unlike the judgment of men, if they were leading me before a flesh and blood king whose life is temporal, who is here today and dead in the grave tomorrow, if he's angry with me, his anger is not eternal, and consequently his punishment is not eternal, and even so I would be frightened and afraid, how much more so, and I'm going in front of the king of kings whose judgment is eternal. And what was he so afraid of? The students turned to him and said that our teacher blessed, bless us. So he said to them, may it be his will that the fear of heaven shall be upon you like the fear of flesh and blood. His students were puzzled and said to that point and not beyond. In other words, that we should be as afraid of people. We should be afraid of God as we are of people. Shouldn't it be something bigger than that? And he turns to them and he says to them that when you commit a transgression, what do you say to yourself? I hope that nobody will see me. If you're so concerned about avoiding shame before other people, if you would be that concerned about avoiding shame before God, so then that would be good and you would never sin. So the Gemara says that at the time of his death, immediately before and he said to them, remove the vessels from the house and take them outside due to the ritual impurity that will be imparted by my corpse and prepare a chair for Chizkiyo, the king of Judea, who is coming from the upper world to accompany me. Now that's very complicated. Why would he have seen, why would he seen a vision of King Chizkiyahu coming to greet him when he dies? So our rabbis explain because his entire life he wasn't sure as to whether or not he did the right thing. Did he make the right decision? But let's analyze for a second. What did he ask for? He asked for Rabbi Tzaddik. He asked for the, the family of Ram Gamliel, and he asked for the city of Yavna and its sages to be saved. What's the uniting thread between the three things that he asked for? The uniting thread was Torah. The uniting thread was to be able to preserve Torah in the Jewish people. Rabbi Tzaddik represented Torah in its, in its purest core. The Shulshalt of the Ram Gamliel, that represented Torah and kingdom and Malchus. And the city of Yavna and its sages, that represented the Sanhedrin, it represented Torah. His very core, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh, was all about Torah. Who was he shown in his last moments of life on this earth? Chizkiyo HaMelech. And what did Chizkiyo HaMelech represent? Torah. Our rabbis tell us that King Hezekiah, as great a king as he was, he repelled the Assyrian assault on Jerusalem. But what was at the core of King Hezekiah, of King Chizkiyo? At the core was Torah. When he got the country, the nation, to do tshuva, to do repentance, he was able to get from the north of the country to the south of the country, says the Talmud, to be completely, completely um, um, well-versed in every aspect of Torah, that they became expert in the most difficult minutia of Torah, that's what he was able to accomplish. Because that was Chizkiyo HaMelech's entire life, was to ensure that the Jewish people lived by Torah. By showing Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai that vision at the end of his life, 
God was ratifying the decision that he made to tell him that your decision was correct because the centerpiece of the Jewish people is Torah. There is nothing else that is the centerpiece of the Jewish people. I might have mentioned once that it's amazing. If you look at the temple, at the tabernacle, at the Mishkan, there were many pieces of furniture in the Mishkan. Of those pieces of furniture, they all had handles because they had, they had to have bars. They had to have, they had to have staves, sticks, because they had to be carried, because they traveled from one place to another. But when you rested, you took the sticks out. The ark which carried the Torah, the sticks that carried the ark that were on either side, the handles that were either side of the ark, there was a commandment in the Torah that they had to stay connected to the ark even when the ark was resting, and it was a biblical prohibition to take them out of the ark. And if you took them out of the ark, you were responsible to be put to death. It was a capital crime. What's the big deal? So you take the sticks out. The sticks were made actually like Q-tips with fat ends on either end so that they would never come out of the ark. Why so manic? Why were we so worried about them coming out of the ark? Because the message that the ark sent was is that the Torah needs to be ready to move always. That at a drop of a hat, you have to be ready to pick it up and to take it with you. Not the rest of the temple. If the rest of the temple needs to be left behind, it'll be left behind. But the Torah goes with us into any exile that we go to. Wherever we are spread over the world, the Torah has to be with us because the center of our lives that is the Torah and that's the principle on which Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai ruled he looked at him so he looked at his situation and he said look I don't think I could preserve this I don't think I could preserve the temple because if I ask for that then the Romans will give me nothing but I can preserve the Torah and that was what he decided that was what made his decision and it was that preserving of the Torah, which was the center of his life, which was the reason that Chizkiyahu, which was the reason that he was shown the vision, vision of Chizkiyahu. Because this was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai once saw a family that in Jerusalem that their children were dying before the age of 18. Every child died before the age of 18. He figured out that they were from the family of Eli, who, from the high priest Eli in the time of, um, in the time of the judges, in the time of the, the birth of, of Samuel the prophet, and the high priest Eli was, was cursed, and his children from that family, the children died young. And he gave a piece of advice to the family. And he said to them, let them study Torah. Because if they study Torah, then they won't die. You know, it's such a from thing. It's like, you know, what, what's, the, what's the medicine for everything? Study Torah, you'll be okay. You know, take two tablets, call me in the morning, right? You know, take two tablets, study the Torah, call me in the morning, it'll all be good. What, what, really? Like, that's the answer for everything? Yes, that's the answer for everything. According to Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, he taught us that that is the answer. The answer is... Involve yourself in Torah. Marbe Torah, the previous Mishnah. We learned it together. Marbe Torah, Marbe Chaim. The more Torah you have in your life, the more life you have. Because the more meaning you have in your life, the more direction you have in your life, the more purpose you have in your life. That's what Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai lived by. That was what his entire life was by. That's why it says in the beginning of the Mishnah that he got his tradition from Hill and Shammai. Because what he did with the rulings of Hillel and Shammai is he found the way to unite them. 
he was able to paskin, he was able to, to take the two sides, he was able to take both Hill and Shammai and to be able to work them together and to be able to come out with practical rulings. You know, there was a great debate that Hill and Shammai had. Was it worthy for man to be created or not worthy for man to be created? They debated this for two and a half years. That one side said, man, it was worthy for him to be created. The other side said, no, because man is so fickle. Like God would have run a better world without man. It would have been better if there wasn't human beings. Human beings can't be trusted. And they decided, they took a vote, and they came up with what's called a pshara, with a middle road. And the middle road is, you're right, it's taka better. Man shouldn't have been created. Because man was put in a difficult position because he's a human being. He was given free choice. And what do you think? You give a guy free choice and he's going to be okay. He's going to mess up. It's going to happen. Because if you have free choice, you're going to want to choose the easier path. It's just the way it is. Okay, so maybe it would have been better for man not to be created, but he was. <laughs> Nothing you can do about it. He's created. So get to work. Look at your actions. Introspect. Make yourself take responsibility. Buck up, bud, and do something with your life. That's the pshara. He was able to, Rabbi Yochanan and Zaka was able to look at it and look, the, the honesty is, maybe we shouldn't be here, but we are here. You can philosophize, you can, you, can, you can intellectualize, you can do whatever you want with this thing. You can wax philosophical. But at the end of the day, we're here and we're here to stay. So make the best of it. Get to work. Do something with yourself and make yourself meaningful. Make your wife, your life worthy of existence. Beautiful. For him, it was all about recognizing the Torah was the center core of the Jewish people. And that's what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai lived by. Im lamanita Torah harbei, if you have studied a lot of Torah, al tachzik toivala don't break your arm patting yourself on the back, because lekach neitzarta, you were created for that reason, to excel in Torah. To excel in life. Mar Torah, mar You were put here to have life. Well, the more Torah you have, the more life you have. So then, therefore, all you're doing is just living your life. You're getting on with the life. Whether it was whether you should have been here, not should have been here, not my concern. My concern is once you're here, make the best of it. And if you don't make the best of it, so then you've fallen short. And if you've made the best of it, you're doing what you were created to do. You know, a person a lot of times looks at themselves and says, wow, look, look what I've accomplished. Yes, you've accomplished a lot, but what do you think you're here for? You know, a person doesn't walk around, an average person, a person with lung problems maybe, but an average person doesn't walk around and say, wow, I just took another breath. Check that out, man. I'm, look at the kind of breather I am. <laughs> but we don't do that. Right? Look at the way I walk. One foot in front of the other. Isn't that amazing? No, it's not amazing. You were given legs to walk. Hey, I'm able to hold a cup. Unless there was some challenge to your whole being able to hold the cup, you should be able to hold the cup. You didn't do anything. You didn't accomplish anything. You're doing what you're using, the kalim you were given, the vessels you were given to make a life for yourself. And that's exactly the way Rabbi Yochanan and Zaka looked at Torah. That's the background that's necessary to understand his approach to his students. Of First of all, we need to understand, and we'll do this tomorrow, we need to understand why in the world does it list his five students and then tell us what each one of them was. You want to create a battle amongst your students? Then talk about them 
you know, that, oh, this is my favorite student because he was able to do this. And this is my favorite student because he was able to do this. No parent would ever do that. Why would, why would Rabbi Yochanan Menzakai do that? What was he missing? Or what was he teaching us? Okay, we'll, we will push this on tomorrow. But for now, we have an understanding of who Rabbi Yochanan Menzakai was. I could, I could develop this another hour and a half. But, but Rabbi Yochanan Menzakai was an Isha Torah. He was a person who saw Torah as being the whole purpose of why we're in this world. And therefore, when you excel at it, all you're doing is excelling at breathing. You're excelling at walking. And that's what you're supposed to do. And therefore, don't, don't look at it and say, wow, I'm going beyond the letter of the law. No, you're the letter of the law. You're doing exactly what is expected of you. When your life is awesome because you make it a meaningful life, it's not like you did something that, you was, that was way beyond, wow, look what you did. You did exactly why you were put here. That's why we're here. When we don't achieve that, then we failed. When we achieve it, we have, we have succeeded at what we were supposed to be doing. And therefore, it's not like I've gone beyond anything. I've just done what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay, that's step number one. 